0: All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And Jason, thank you as well for coming in and sharing some of your insights with us. So Jason, we all know that Steam and you have been uh, pretty active against uh, this concept of employee non-competes, especially in freight brokerage. Uh, What some of you might not know is that actually the FTC has taken an interest in our in our industry. They've been looking into non-competes more generally, but especially in freight brokerage. They say generally that uh, eliminating employee non-competes could uh, boost employee wages by $250 billion. Um, so, Jason, why is it that non-competes are so prevalent specifically in the freight brokerage industry?
1: I'm not 100% sure. I think um, my, my suspicion is that it's an industry that has always attracted young talent. So, we all know that uh, 3PLs tend to hire a lot of people right out of college, and these are people that don't have a lot of work experience. And my, my suspicion is it's just been an easy thing to slide in front of somebody as they're joining joining a company that, that sort of protects the employer downstream if uh, the person that they've hired uh, wants to leave their company. And so I think it's mostly just driven by that, that a lot of very inexperienced people that don't understand non-competes and then certainly don't know how to push back against non-competes.
0: Right. They might not know that they need to look at the contract before they're signing. Sure. It. I
1: mean, they don't have lawyers, right? I mean, these right. are people that are, uh, I mean, and frankly, they're, they're excited. They're optimistic. They just got their first job. And they're not thinking about three years from that moment where they might want to you know, take a new opportunity. So um, it's, it's kind of a, a shame that they've crept in the way they have, and, and they are pretty prevalent right now.
0: What are kind of like the varying levels of non-competes? Because I'm sure most employee contracts might have an NDA or, you know, please don't leak our trade secrets to others. But how do you differentiate between maybe an acceptable non-compete and one that folks should generally kind of avoid?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have no issues with NDAs, you know, which are non-disclosure agreements or non-solicits. And in fact, we have those in our business. We don't think it's unreasonable as an employer to, you know, ask your employees when they leave not to disclose confidential information uh, to a competitor or, and, and not to steal your customers. I mean, those are things that are completely uh, understandable. I think where we see corporate overreach is when you're telling somebody when they leave your company, they have to go sit out of the industry for six months, a year, or two years. Uh, that that just feels like corporate bullying, frankly. and um, and And so we've we made a decision early on at steam not to have those. Uh, and it hasn't hurt us at all. I mean, we've grown dramatically over the past handful of years. And, um, we, when people leave, we try to wish them well. And, uh, and, and we have a whole community of people that are, you know, at steam and then former steam uh, team members. And, and, you know, we try to keep great relationships with those people. So, uh, again, we, we don't see that it hurts our business in any way. And, and we're hopeful that others will you know, continue to take note of that.
0: When an employee has um, one of those more punishing non-compete clauses in their, uh, in their employee contract, they got to sit out of the industry for six months or 12 months, as you mentioned. Do they just leave logistics and never come back? I guess, where do they go if they're not able to stay within the logistics industry?
1: So I think it's a mixed bag. Sometimes they try to fight it. Um, we've helped employees fight it from, from our point of view when we've hired somebody and then their former employer has come after them. Um, But a lot of times they do, they just leave. I mean, I, I know a lot of people that I've met over the years who have just left the industry to get into a SaaS business or something totally unrelated. And that hurts all of us. I mean, we need to retain talent in our industry. And when we have people that are uh, very talented that just absolutely just leave the space and many times never come back, that doesn't really help uh, the logistics space in, in sort of a macro environment.
0: That makes sense. I mean, so we've got, you've got about 132 companies that have signed the non-compete pledge. What's kind of motivating those who haven't signed the pledge? I guess, why why wouldn't you sign this pledge and, and kind of uh, get rid of non-competes in your clauses?
1: Yeah, so we set up a website called innoncompetes.com. Uh, we purposely uh, made it not sort of steam-centered. We, we just wanted it to be a resource for the industry to invite people to come alongside us and uh, we, to your point, we've had 132 companies uh, decide to do that, and um, which has been gratifying. And, and I think their motivation is probably the same as ours, which is let's let's bring some values to the space. Let's uh, have a sort of a, a winning uh, proposal to the talent in the industry to to win them over to to join our business. And it's a competitive differentiator in a lot of ways, which is sad because uh, that means that there's a lot of people that you know have non-competes, and so. Um, and I think the motivation for those who haven't come alongside us—I mean, sometimes people don't want to collaborate with a competitor, and I can understand that. But I think, moreover, it's large legacy uh, companies who've had these in place for a long time just have a sense of fear about uh, whether or not they would lose a lot of their employees if if they didn't have that. So. Again, uh, I think that fear is largely overstated, uh, um, and, and certainly it would require these companies to make sure that they have their house in order, that they have a good culture, that they you know keep their p- employees for those types of reasons, as opposed to holding them hostage with a with a non compete.
0: Yeah, I mean, if your employees are there because. They just want to stay in the industry rather than, oh, I like this company. I just want to work here. And That's definitely yeah. not a great, great fit for culture, I imagine.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we kind of put that accountability on ourselves. I mean, we feel like uh, it's our job to create an environment that wins people over and, and keeps them in our company. And if we're not doing that and they leave, that's on us. And so... Um, you know it, it can be done and it, it shouldn't be such a uh, you know kind of a taboo for for especially the the you know kind of legacy players in the space
0: what gave you this idea to kind of venture into this uh and and non-compete type of uh Ad, I don't want to say, advocacy or activism, but sure. you know, it is it is something that you know pushes against what what other companies are doing for sure.
1: Well, I, th- I actually think the idea was uh, Steve Cox is my uh, one of my colleagues, our president at Steam. Um, when we we started up our domestic business unit in um, April of 2021, and at that time, we started hiring a lot of uh, domestic brokers, and we were getting letters left and right from different uh, companies in the space. I think we got seven or eight of them basically saying, don't hire this person. He's under a non-compete or she's under a non-compete. And it was we were just constantly playing defense. And we thought, well, let's, let's switch this around and let's go on offense a little bit. Let's drag this, because it's all very shadowy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's all letters and nobody really knows. And we thought, well, let's just drag this out of the shadows into the light and put some real scrutiny around it. And take it to the court of public opinion, and uh, we've just seen a lot of uh, a lot, uh, you know, just a lot of enthusiasm around that. And so, uh, and it, that just led to you know the website and, and and everything else that came behind it. So it was it was sort of out of, out of necessity in some ways.
0: What happens if you have a non compete and you decide to go work at another great brokerage? Is it sort of the the employer kind of forgets about it, and doesn't really pursue any legal action? Are there cases where Actual legal action is placed against, let's say, a freight broker with a year or two of experience who goes somewhere else.
1: It depends on the company. Some people are like pretty adamant, and they'll take it all the way, and it will go to a legal scenario. Wow. Um, usually, though, what happens in that situation, it's really hard to like actually prove damages, and so it ends up being a situation where the lawyers win and nobody else does. Um, but uh, but it just kind of depends on the nature of the business. Um, one of the things that we did that Steve actually promoted on LinkedIn was we said the next time we get one of those letters, we're posting it on LinkedIn. <laughs> that's good. And we've never gotten one since. So I mean, again, it's that shadowiness that's yeah. so kind of distasteful about it. I think
0: that's interesting. Well, maybe you will get. I'm I'm curious to see one of those letters one of those days. Yeah. So I'll I'll be I'll be checking that <laughs> LinkedIn. Um, so, changing, shifting gears a little bit. Um, obviously, we've been there's been a lot of issues just generally uh, in the trucking industry. Yep. Economic uh, and market conditions have changed, and that's really for um, kind of unusually has also hit the brokerage industry. Of course, I guess what would you say generally brokers can do to stay in business? What's going to differentiate those brokers that stay in business and ride out this versus those that unfortunately shut down?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with a, an awareness of the situation on the ground. Um, I think early in this year, it, it took a lot of people, and I would even say us, uh, a little bit of time to sort of recognize what was happening. Um, and, you know, it, it feels a little bit like whiplash when you come out of the pandemic. It was obviously a crazy time. Um, and then at the rate at which the market dropped, it, it was pretty jarring. And so I think all of us at this point should be, Really understand now. You know we're in a we're in a tough industry right now, but um, it starts there. But then you know it's really simple things. It's um, it's it's, for us it's keeping our priorities pretty narrow. It's it's not a time to get super fancy. Let's really focus on fewer things and execute well. Um, It's protecting cash. It's keeping expenses down. And and for us, our mantra all year has been market share. I mean, this industry is massive. We do not have to have an expanding market in order to grow. And it's about having a a winning story, and it's about winning over customers. And and so far, it's been very successful for us. I mean, actually, our volume is up Mm -hmm. about 30% year over year um, as a company, and it's up almost 60% uh, in our domestic unit. And so, you know, we feel like we're making really good gains, even despite, um, you know, some of these headwinds, and there's plenty of them.
0: Have you noticed any sort of difference between, like, cross-border versus domestic and Anything along those lines, especially as manufacturing kind of shifts from, let's say, East Asia to to perhaps more near-shoring type sources?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we believe that it's real. Um, It's been talked about for 20 years, but it actually (laughs) is actually happening. It's actually happening this time. Um, And so um, we are in the process of uh, mapping out a a Mexico strategy right now. So we're interviewing some candidates that we want to bring in to help uh, drive that forward. So we'll be in Mexico next year.
0: Okay, okay. And um we've got just a few more minutes left. I guess when I'm sure everyone has been kind of talking about this and there's no real clear answer, but in your opinion, when do you think conditions will, you know, start to improve again? When do you think that what what's what's gotta happen in order for this freight market to turn around?
1: Yeah, that's the million dollar question. I think <laughs> a lot a lot of people think second half of next year and I think that's about as likely as it not happening. I mean, it's sort of a coin flip, but I, we're preparing and, and have prepared our business to ride this out for as long as it takes. And I think, uh, you know, our, our plan for next year is to essentially assume that it's going to feel exactly the way it does right now for the entirety of the year. Um, I'd rather plan for that and then hope for something to happen on the positive end than, than you know, kind of going in with hope as a strategy. So we're just gonna uh we're just gonna run the business and and we're in a good position to do it. And if it gets better next year, we we'll appreciate that. Um but if it doesn't, we should be in good shape to manage through it.
0: Okay. And any anything else you'd want to leave with our audience today before uh before we o- welcome in our next speaker?
1: Just uh welcome to Chattanooga. <laughs> this is our home. We love it here. So uh I'm so glad that we have this event here and I hope you all are enjoying our city.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jason. We really appreciate thank
1: you. it. Appreciate it.